podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN in association with Betfred. Week 11 in the bag or near enough. It's Monday after another whirlwind Sunday of NFL action. Mahomes bringing the comeback once again. An overtime thriller in the Colts Packers. Aaron Rodgers, not a happy man. The Steelers march on. Guess what? The NFC East is wide open. The number one draft pick out for the season. So many stories to get into. Not enough time. Let's get straight down to business and welcome the brilliant Greg Brady. Greg, good to see you. Uh, Sunday Night Football is obviously where we'll start as LeBron James called it Insano, which did, didn't they, I'm pretty sure they supported James Addiction back in the 90s. <laughs> Insano. They were on a Lollapalooza tour or two. Uh, they really were. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, the, the tattoos and the earrings offset people a little bit. Just a couple of hits, but, uh, but they were out there. They were one of Perry Farrell's favorites. You're right about that. I love LeBron James's wading in on supreme acts of athleticism and just giving his King James seal of approval. I think uh, I think that is the ultimate honor for any athlete is getting a tweet from LeBron James <laughs> saying, "Yeah, respect." And, and Mahomes deserved it, of course. Uh, what are we going to see next? Uh, given the way the Raiders celebrated their win at Arrowhead earlier in the season and drove the bus around. Arrowhead. Uh, are we going to see a Hummer with, with Mahomes and Kelsey and, and Andy Reid with his head out the sunroof? It's possible. And uh, yeah, does Andy Reid, remember Andy Reid's been going with the, uh, the controversial shield as opposed to the, uh, you know, the, right. the mask. Um, yeah. We saw that yesterday with a couple different coaches uh, who, go, who go, they go mask basically at the chin and shield. Um, and I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure you'd be uh, able to walk into uh you know, in my neck of the woods, a target. In your neck of the woods, a Sainsbury net. Uh, I, I don't know that that would be that would be okay. But I'd say this about the Chiefs and Raiders. I do think it's the one. The AFC has so has had so many twists and turns these last few weeks about who we think is good, who we think is great. I know we'll talk about mm-hmm. the Ravens and their uh, fall from grace down to right. third place and maybe not a sure playoff team at all. But I think Chiefs Raiders part three is a playoff game we want to see. And we don't sure. really care if it's in the divisional playoff. Uh, I wonder if we would even get there and consider that if the Raiders can go on a run because they'd have to do it on the road a couple weekends in a row. Are we looking at a potential third matchup in an AFC title game? That would be fascinating. And all this seems to dismiss a 10-0 Pittsburgh team that doesn't feel very 10-0. So a lot of things to talk about with the AFC. I think the Steelers will take that. We'll, we'll get up to them in a bit as well. I think they'll be fine being quite under the radar. I don't think they're in the same category as last season's Packers, the 33 Packers that nobody was buying at all, all the way through to the championship game. They were pretty abject, certainly a misleading record. I don't think anybody's feeling that strongly about the Steelers, even if they're not completely buying them yet. And I reckon that'll suit Tomlin that people aren't talking about, if anything, motivate them. With this, I am slightly kicking myself, I guess, because... I thought the Chiefs were going to win this comfortably because it was Andy Reid off the bye, because it was uh, you know, now an even more of a grudge match because this Raiders team that I, I like, and you know, we've talked a lot this season about how much we both like this Raiders side. So we're both Derek Carr mm-hmm. fans and have been flying his flag in the face of criticism from elsewhere. And I moved away from the Raiders this thinking that it was going to be quite comprehensive in the end for, for Reed and the Chiefs, forgetting the fact that 
once again, even though it's a stronger team than, than last season because the ground game is a lot stronger, Edwards Hilaire uh, stepping up once again. And, and they've added that dimension with Lev Bell getting his first score for them as well. They've, they've added that dimension, improved that dimension. So they're, they're only better as a result, result. But Greg, it's exactly the same setup as last time. They will just outgun you because their defense is fallible as the Chiefs prove, as the Raiders prove once again. Yeah, I think that is something that that was the issue with the Chiefs defense uh, two seasons ago was a considerable concern. Remember, they go to overtime against the New England Patriots and they don't get Patrick Mahomes the ball because the defense can't get a stop against Tom Brady and the Patriots. So, yeah, I I look at this Raiders team and uh, I think even neutrals are starting to really like it. And, uh, Mm -hmm. And and we've talked about it before. I know on the Sunday show, the potential for them against some of the other combatants. And uh, to me, they're, they're showing better right now than teams like the Ravens. They're showing maybe, look, we saw the Miami Dolphins crash down to earth uh, in Denver. And, and there's a lot of explanation maybe for that, the high altitude. Denver's defense has been a little bit undersold. But the Raiders, I like as much as any team out of first place right now. And I think that spans maybe across the NFL Maybe with the possible exception of the Los Angeles Rams, because I've been on the Rams train. I think you have too. We both like Jared Goff a lot, but I'd bring up uh, I'd bring up Derek Carr, and I just it is finally time uh, to put this to bed that Derek Carr isn't a very good quarterback. He is that. Uh, he has fully recovered from the injury that 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 may have cost him an MVP season. It might have cost the Raiders a trip to the Super Bowl. It certainly cost them playoff games. One. Matt, I'll lay it out there. The Raiders. Uh, only five teams have won a playoff game less recently than the Raiders. And the last one the Raiders won was the AFC title game to go to the Super Bowl when they got battered by uh, Brad Johnson and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right. So it's been 18 years. And, and here's the five teams, and you won't be surprised at who they are because there's been a lot of dysfunction. Bengals, Lions, Browns, Bills, Dolphins. Those are almost universally the five most dysfunctional teams over the last 20 years or so. But the Raiders have been in that class and it finally looks like there's some stability. It finally looks like there's some, uh, you know, they've got some gravitas. I think they're a really interesting watch. They come on the television. You want to watch their games because they've got a layer of excitement to them that that even they didn't have maybe in the previous couple of years. Um, and now that they're done with the Chiefs, I think they're going to make some trouble uh, for some teams. They have got some just layups on the schedule. Falcons right, next right. week. Right. Jets the are Jets. They jets still play the Jets. Um, you know, Miami at home, I think you'd favor Vegas. That could be a critical game uh, the weekend after Christmas in terms of wild card, just making the wild card as well as wild card seating. So, yeah, I like them a lot. I don't know how they're not going to be a 10-win team, but then all the all the heavy lifting really starts come the playoffs for the Las Vegas Raiders, and, and they got to prove they belong. Who do you think played played better out of the two quarterbacks last night? I th- I do think, boy, Derek Carr played great. That's a very tough question. And, uh, and, and I have to look and I say Mahomes by just a little bit, but mm. you mentioned it. Um, you know, Mahomes had the ball last. If Derek Carr has, you know, let's say he's got a minute 45 left on the clock, under two minutes, and, and maybe he's got a timeout uh, to setting straight, knowing that a, t- a field goal doesn't do them any good. They have to get a touchdown to win. I wouldn't put it past Derek Carr to have pulled it off. Uh, so, you know, he just he threw the ball a ton less, 45 attempts to 31. The one interception, which I'm not sure uh, was completely his fault. We've seen Derek Carr have some missteps uh, since coming back from injury, and the offensive line has kept him very upright this year. That's been a big, big factor as well. Not only have they developed the running game regularly with Josh Jacobs, although he was stymied a little bit last night, 
but it's close. I'd say Mahomes by a little bit, but uh, like I said, that's exactly why you're looking at quarterbacks in the AFC going, well, who's reliable? Who's, right. who's going to be there week after week after week? We're not 100% sure about Baker Mayfield. We're starting to have some doubts about Lamar Jackson, uh, who was the, the runaway MVP last season. I think Josh Allen has had an excellent year. Philip Rivers, I can take her lead, but that's a, there's seven and three teams with run by you know Josh Allen and Ryan Tannehill and Philip Rivers and Baker Mayfield. So there's a lot of a uh, lot of balls in the air when it comes to figuring out who the real good quarterbacks are in the AFC. But count on me, or count on Derek Carr being one of them. Uh, I, I'm convinced he is and have been for some time. Hey, we're going to be vindicated on that one, Brady, I tell you. Let's talk uh, <laughs> Lamar and Tanner, for that matter, and, and go to the Ravens-Titans next. Another thriller. The Ravens blowing an 11-point lead. They've lost three out of their last four now. Banged up defensively, of course. Brandon Williams, Calais Campbell, both out. Uh, and they've had issues, of course, in, in recent weeks within that unit, which, which certainly contributes quite significantly to, to the slump that they're in. But it's more than that. It's, it's the offense. And it's Lamar again, inevitably, because he's the reigning MVP, because he was so electrifying last season. He's going to garner a lot of the attention. And it was another erratic display, wasn't it? It was. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't play well on third down. He certainly didn't play well in, uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, getting outscored basically 17-3 to from the fourth quarter on because you have to count the overtime score uh, that the Titans put in. And, uh, and no, home advantages aren't the same. They're not, but the, the comforts of being at home, being at M&T Bank Stadium, should have been enough for the Ravens to, uh, you know, to, that they just never could plant the seed of doubt in the Titans' mind that it, was, that it was Baltimore's game. They let them hang around. They let them hang around. They couldn't convert some opportunities. There was an opportunity not at the end of the game. That's not getting talked about. We're all talking about Derrick Henry's touchdown run, but, you know, handling the clock and converting, you know, a pass or two, and you can win that game in regulation if you're the Ravens instead of settling for a Justin Tucker chip shot field goal. So there's things Lamar Jackson has to do better. We could debate the, uh, you know, the veracity of the weapons around him. I know the last time we talked about Des Bryant making his Ravens debut, he's been just kind of a guy. He's been there. Um, he made the one big catch yesterday, but otherwise it's mostly check downs and, and not going for a lot of yardage. He looks like a player that hasn't played regularly in about four seasons. So he's not been the difference maker that, uh, that I don't know that anyone thought, but I think some people thought he'd add great depth to the position. I think he's just been kind of, kind of meh, to be perfectly honest. And, and the Ravens need more uh, from their receivers the same way they need more consistency from the quarterback. You've got to think about that, that Des Bryant signing, right? Like, terrific player, obviously, but a long way from his heyday. And, and when a team is making a move like that and there is that level of expectation on productivity from him, there's the problem, right? It's a bit like the Packers making seemingly a lot of moves to get Will Fuller. It was so un-Packers-like to, to do that, to get to spend in free agency to get a deal done. It's just not how they do business. So when they do, you're thinking, well, this is a serious problem. And, and clearly, uh, Baltimore are looking at it and thinking, if we can't sort that out and, and give Lamar another outlet, then we're going to be in trouble. On the flip side of that, AJ Brown stepping up for the Titans, which was significant. You got the feeling as that game was playing out, Greg, and we love Vrabel, of course, and love how mm -hmm. dogmatic and uh, uh, and... A competitively aggressive he can be but at one point it looked like he was gonna uh, just eviscerate anyone that <laughs> was within 10 yards of him he was so 
fired up. Uh, and of course, there was a lot of uh, needle because of the team talk that was given uh, at the, before the start of the game, which really wound up Harbour and refused to shake Vrabel's hand afterwards. The team talk in the middle of the field, which they thought was disrespectful. So Vrabel very much bringing that edge to this Titans team. He got the feeling as the game was playing out and was running away from them for a large part. That could have been the season. If Tennessee hadn't pulled this game back, I think their season could have just slid away. But the flip side of that now, this victory will, I think, absolutely galvanize them to go on another run. What about Baltimore, though? Three out of four lost. All these problems Mm -hmm. banged up defensively, sluggish offensively. Is there a chance they might miss the playoffs? There is that chance. I think they're going to still be able to to sneak in. I think they're going to find a way to get the results they need. They've got the Jags at home, the Giants at home. They'll go to Cincinnati almost certainly, obviously, without Joe Burrow on January 3rd. So there might be a late run in, but but Nat, could they fall to 7-5, and 7-6 and six and need to win those last three games? Absolutely, there's that risk. And the idea of the Ravens not playing, a, not playing a home game, obviously since expanding to the seven teams in the playoffs, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be run a little bit differently and, uh, and, and you're going to get four and five seeds getting to host playoff games. Previously, you had to win the division to host that particular playoff game. Now you, now you do not. One wildcard team going to get that home game in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, it, it is it is very likely. Look, we're expanding the playoffs out to seven teams and it's still possible a 10 and 6 team could be on the on the borderline or at minimum a 9 and 6 team or 10 and 5 team going into that week 17 is not going to know that they've clinched a playoff spot at that point. And I don't think we anticipated that. It, it looks very have and have not in the NFC, but right now, there's at least eight halves. There's nine teams with record of uh, with a record of six and four or better, mm-hmm. and that you know that doesn't count. I think I think we might maybe over this past weekend finally put the death knell into the Patriots. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think Denver is capable of a team that's that's going to go five and one the rest of the way. So it's nine teams fighting for seven spots, but all those teams are at least two games over five hundred right now. I still think they're getting in. I think they're a better football team than the Cleveland Browns. I think they're a better football team than the Indianapolis Colts, but they've got to start playing like it. Let's talk Patriots then. We'll, we'll jump to them uh, because, as you, I think, quite rightly say, falling to four and six now with that loss against the Texans be extraordinary if they can, can turn things around, not least because of, of their own problems. And we knew a lot of them going into the season that defensively they were threadbare for, for different reasons. The players they lost through a free agency and then the COVID sit-outs and everything else. Offensively, it started so promisingly with with Cam, of course, and, and then COVID struck and he just hasn't been the same since he's been back. And the obvious issues of lack of strength and depth, lack of playmakers. In this game, Rex Burkhead, who'd been pretty productive in recent weeks, he went out as well and they just didn't, uh, didn't have enough once again. So where does Belichick and McDaniels where do they go next? Do they move on from Cam at the end of the season? And if you think they do, Greg, are they looking at uh, another veteran to come in? Are they looking at uh, drafting a player and, and start him straight away? Is Stidham going to get a, a, a roll of the dice? What do you think they do? Yeah, I think I think Stidham is going to get a good look. Uh, and remember, the, the, the narrative there was in April that they were comfortable with him. They were not right. just comfortable with him, but pleased with how he looked in mini camps, how he looked at the end of uh, of last season, the last Tom Brady New England season. But I wouldn't I wouldn't sell it out on Cam just yet. I think it's very possible that Newton may play himself in to at least another season there. Um, I, I think there was the idea of 
of, you know, he took a chance on them. They took a chance on him. Not that the offers were, uh, you know, were rolling in left, right, and center for a 31-year-old Cam Newton. Uh, this is not the player that won the 2015 MVP, not by a long shot. This is not a future Hall of Famer in Cam Newton, which would have been something to say five or six years ago with with where his game had grown to. And and it's not quite like those quarterbacks that feel very one and done when they make the Super Bowl. I mean, again, nobody could have ever predicted that Dan Marino would go to a Super Bowl in his second year and never reappear. We would, have, would not have been able to predict Aaron Rodgers would go a decade between Super Bowls if he even makes another one uh, in his esteemed NFL career. So Cam's got some work to do uh, in New England, I think, to keep the job, but I wouldn't rule it out. And I don't know whether that's Bill Belichick thinking I can groom someone behind Cam Newton, but turning over the keys to the car right away, um, it's got some risk to it. They're not going to be in a conversation for Trevor Lawrence. They're not going to be in a conversation and be bad enough to get even one of the three best quarterbacks uh, in the draft. That could be... That could be Dallas. That could be, uh, you know, believe it or not, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, you know, grooming someone in a post-Matt Ryan era. And that era could come a lot sooner than, than those of us think. Jacksonville's an obvious team that was in the hunt for, uh, for Trevor Lawrence. And the Jets seem to, seem to have been even worse than any prognostication. So they've kind of ruined Jacksonville's uh, maybe tank game plan. Same one that the Dolphins had in 2019. And then Miami just won too many games. And... Uh, and Cincinnati did not. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see where New England goes. But you're right. I look at 34-year-old Julian Edelman, and he looks done. Uh, James yeah. White out of the backfield looks done. And, and, and at the absolute minimum, the Patriots have a lot better sense as to where their running game might go. Damian Harris has been yeah. a real find, over five yards of carry. Uh, you know, he's proved adept at catching some balls out of the backfield. So they're not without any weapons whatsoever but they just haven't been able to put it all together in, uh, in, in, you know, week by week stretches. I think that, I think it is a big rebuild. When you look at, look at that offense and not necessarily from altogether design that they neglected it in kill Harry, a first round pick, the only receiver Belichick's ever taken in the first round just hasn't lived up to, to that billing and compare that to Houston and quickly Deshaun Watson had a hell of an afternoon, right. And credit to credit to his performance. That's a better that's a better gig right now in terms of if you were not the better checks going anywhere soon, but if you were to go into those respective franchises right now, just looking at purely the talent on paper, Houston's a better opportunity, isn't it? And and you look at if you can build enough around Watson, they could bounce back relatively quickly or do you think I'm overstating it a little bit given last season they're a playoff team this season because of the Bill O'Brien meltdown it's all been doom and gloom but I think they're a better team than the record suggests and there's a lot there to build on no I I've, I agree with you and I've, I've not seen a playoff team I can't think of a team that won a playoff game that and and obviously was was competitive at the start of the next playoff game when they played Kansas City. Uh, we know how, how the Texans right. roared out, and you're like, oh, my goodness, is Kansas City going to blow this at home? Um, you know, And remember the night before, uh, Tennessee had beat Baltimore. So right. we're going, are, are we getting a Texans-Titans AFC title game? <laughs> and, of course, we didn't. And, of course, Kansas City came back, did what they were supposed to do. But I, I'd be hard-pressed to name a team that won a playoff game the year before that – had suffered such levels of dysfunction from the Hopkins trade to, uh, you know, the criticism of Bill O'Brien internally and externally to them getting him out, both as GM and head coach. And no, I, I think there's an infrastructure there for sure. Deshaun Watson's got 
weapons. Uh, you know, Will, Fur- Will Fuller is not necessarily your prototypical number one. He isn't DeAndre Hopkins, but he's proven that that he's been able to help Deshaun Watson, and they've, de- they've developed almost uh, a quarterback and number one receiver field to them. The Texans' core, where they go for head coach potentially in the offseason is going to be a really, really interesting thing. But, yeah, like, Nat, I look at that division, and, and I – I'm, I, like I said, I'm not that big a believer in the Colts and the Titans, and the, and the Colts obviously are stringing this out. Philip Rivers, a bit of a Band-Aid for a year or two, a quarterback. I'm still not that sure Ryan Tannehill's, you know, not catching lightning in a bottle for the last year and a half. So yep. if, if you're betting on futures, the Texans still should be the team with, with, with Deshaun Watson, um, you know, playing as well as he did. That shows you how he played yesterday, that he needs to play that way 12 times a year, 14 times a year, not just the seven or eight that sometimes he, uh, you know, he makes some mistakes and, and doesn't maintain that level. Okay, I'm gonna, let's talk Colts Packers next. I'm going to put the case for the defense for, for Phil Rivers, right? Uh, but I want to start with the Packers, and in particular, Joe Buck. When Joe Buck said on comms, the moment he said, uh, Aaron Rodgers has uh, newfound respect for his young receivers. <laughs> the moment he said that, you knew that something was just going to go wrong. And up until that point, and of course, it's one of the big stories going into this game, as it has been all season long, will they live to regret what they did in the draft? Should it be win now? When you got mm. to your point, one of the all-time great quarterbacks, that's not, you know, pull any punches here Rogers is in terms of talent and ability one of the all-time greats and it would be a tragedy if he as you say only manages to achieve one ring and you look at that I think irresponsible approach by by the Packers to make the decision that they did but they were vindicated they said because we know what we've got internally we've got these receivers you don't know our organization as well as we do we've got Lazar we've got Valdez scanning we're fine when you put them alongside Devontae Adams and then this season has played out as it has when you go into a crunch game like this, the Packers need uh, need a win, you think, to, if anything, underline that legitimacy we talked about at the, at the top of the show. And they were on the way to doing that. And it's Valdez Scantling, and it can't put the defeat solely on his shoulders, but it's once again a young receiver in this organization, and in particular him, that, that's dropped the ball, that Rodgers is now going to have a lack of confidence and faith in him. And it's uh, it seems to me going to be a decision in the same way, maybe not to the same degree, but in the same way that the moment that DeAndre Hopkins deal was done, you knew it was going to haunt Bill O'Brien and the Texans all the way for him out the door. I wonder whether this will haunt the Packers front office that they didn't take a star receiver in that draft or a potential star receiver, a talented young rookie in that draft that was full of them and made this move instead. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot there. And, and yeah, even I mentioned Will Fuller earlier and, and the flirtation with him coming up to the trade deadline. Like I, I get it too, because you're saying, well, we, we don't go and develop a, a wide receiver or another weapon for Aaron Rodgers, And we don't get him in the draft late in the first round for free. So why are we going to go spend more draft capital or give up a younger player to go get a veteran player for Aaron Rodgers? I, Which I, I they know never that, do. That, that is something Packers fans and, and, uh, and Coach LaFleur, that, that's going to get debated for a good chunk of time. But what I saw yesterday, and I saw it in Aaron Rodgers' face watching the end of that game live, Nat, when they didn't punch it in at the end of the fourth quarter, Rodgers had that look on his yeah. face like, well, now we're going to overtime and anything can happen. And they happen to get the ball first and they're driving the football, at least briefly, 
before the Valdez scandling fumble happens. But I also think Aaron Rodgers has been there, done that. I don't think this will have a adverse effect on on the Packers' mentality. But but it was one they wanted. The seven, the difference between seven and three and eight and two could be a first round buy. It could be home advantage in the entire NFC. Like it's there's no team like Pittsburgh running away in the NFC, and we've seen Seattle's flaws and New Orleans mm. playing without Breeze, and we've seen Tampa um, coming into uh, you know the the uh, a seven and three record, but knowing that their losses have been abject. Failures like the look mm. at how many times after the, the Buccaneers lose every single time they've lost this year, we look and we say, Well, that's not a very competitive team, that's not a team that's going to play in the Super Bowl. And they come back the next week and prove you wrong. So it means the NFC is really wide open, and that result against the Colts could be a costly one. They're going to win mm. their division, they're going to get obviously a, a home game at Lambeau Field, but that might be the difference between finishing first or second and third and fourth. Ariel, I want to throw at you that uh, Ollie, uh, the producer and I were kicking around, right? That uh, you look at Rogers and the weight on his shoulders with this particular team. It was very, very acute last year. Defensively, I think there are elements of promise. You know, when you look at this, this pack as D, I mean, yes, they gave up a lot of yardage yesterday, but it was getting stronger as the game was going on. In second uh, half and overtime, including that, they allowed just three conversions uh, on 10 third down attempts, right? So they were kind of getting stronger, shutting down seven out of 10 there. So some positives, but really this is a team that is built on Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers getting stuff done. You can argue the same thing very clearly with Russell Wilson in Seattle, right? This argument, we're hearing it more and more. The defense is so flawed that it puts mm -hmm. uh, an undue amount of pressure on Russell Wilson's shoulders. You could argue maybe as well that with Mahomes and everything we've just seen once again, that Mahomes orchestrating a last minute game-winning drive because the defense had coughed up so many points. So are the teams where that is less acute, where it is less top-heavy, that you are relying on your quarterback to that degree, like Tampa Bay, for, for example, like Roethlisberger and the Steelers, are they the best teams? And essentially what we're saying is they're the most balanced. You could probably argue that as well with Breeze back at the Saints. Those three seem to be different, in my mind, to Seattle, to Kansas City, and to Green Bay. Well, yeah, you still have to be able to run the football. And remember, you know, Green Bay, when they won their Super Bowl, uh, they went on the road three different games. I was at two of those games uh, on, on commentary for it. And boy, they had a lot of struggle. They relied a lot on Rodgers and his bevy of receivers and tight ends and the offensive line to keep him off the, off the turf, uh, going into Philadelphia and winning, going into Chicago and beating a tough defense. I know that's the game Jay Cutler got injured in, but that's a decade ago. And, and you do wonder, have the Packers learned their lesson? They have really struggled mm -hmm. to develop a reliable running game uh, to pair with Aaron Rodgers. But that goes to the point that with some quarterbacks, I mean, Miami struggled for this. You and I know as Dolphins fans for years, they struggled uh, to build a running game around Dan Marino. And by the time, you know, Jimmy Johnson started to put some of those wheels in motion, it was too late in Marino's career to, to pull it off. So when I look at Green Bay's, you know, rushing attack and I see, you know, I see Aaron Jones at 10 carries for 41 yards. I don't see very much at all from Jamal Williams, um, you know, uh, spotting him in the backfield. And I know Rodgers shouldn't be a guy that takes off and runs as much anymore. And certainly he doesn't do it by design. It's more out of desperation to avoid making a bad decision with a sack or an interception. Yeah, I, I worry that the balance isn't there for a Green Bay or a Seattle. And many of the Super Bowl winning teams, 
even New England, when New, New England's gone the last few years, and it hasn't been all about the uh, hasn't been all about the aerial attack. They've been able to run the ball with Sony Michelle or with uh, or with James White. When Philadelphia beat them, they had a good running game to stuff it down the throat of everybody they played in the playoffs. Remember, Nick Foles barely threw the football in those three in those two playoff wins before they got to Minneapolis in the Super right. Bowl. So, yeah, Green Bay might be lacking that kind of balance right now. That's that's pretty important to be a Super Bowl contender. It's a great point. The 49ers last season, right? It's a, a good example. In, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it, particularly in the NFC Championship game. Uh, all right. Here's the case for the defense for, for Philip Rivers, right? So he's 3-1 in November. And here are his stats for, for that month. He's completed almost 70%. A thousand and change yardage. Seven touchdowns, two picks. Quarterback rating, if you buy into those, uh, pushing 100. So fairly solid. Those games have been against the Lions. Okay. But then the Ravens, the Titans, and of course, the Packers, three, realistically, three playoff teams, certainly three playoff contenders. So that is impressive stuff for, from Philip Rivers. He's not going to be a, a Mahomes, even a Rodgers type player, but they don't need him to be, right? With the defense as strong as it is and uh, the ground game starting mm-hmm. to improve with, with Heinz and co. After obviously Mack went down, that was a concern. They don't need him to be anything more than that, do they? No, they're asking him. He, he he they're asking him to do less than maybe he ever has in his career, and he's at a point in his career at age thirty eight where uh, again Tom Brady sets this standard that we're not sure that the Drew Brees and and Ben Roethlisberger's and Philip Rivers can necessarily follow, and Rogers is heading into that being closer to forty than he is to 30. But yeah, if River stays within himself and remember how, how frustrated he was and, and they got, you know, yeah. I wouldn't say the benefit of that, uh, that replay call that looked at first like a fumble yeah. and then was deemed an incomplete pass, but that turned the game right there. They were able to punt and, and pin Green Bay back. So it's, it's a near Phillip Rivers fumble away from some of us saying, well, there it is. Another fourth quarter turnover. LA Chargers fans, San Diego Chargers fans before they moved can relate to a lot of that with Phillip Rivers is, you, you know, you don't want anybody else as your quarterback you trust him immensely but there is that mistake from time to time whether it's a fumbled snap and whether it's a pick whether it's a fumble so yeah they he's got balance in indianapolis and i'm i I certainly after 10 games believe in the colts a lot more than i did again the whole afc south it looked like every team had a major flaw but this is working right now and uh and, and i'm not sure how sustainable it is because when you go off the cliff as an older quarterback you just go. We're seeing this even with Drew Brees right now and, and wondering, uh, are the Saints an 8-2 and two team? And I know they won without him, but are the Saints an 8-2 and two team, uh, you know, because of him or in spite of him? But there's a lot around Indianapolis that this is, a, this is not dissimilar, Nat, to how Peyton Manning was in his last year. And I'm not saying the Colts defense is that Broncos defense from the 2015 season, but they're putting Phillip Rivers in fortunate scenarios uh, so that, mm. that as long as he plays clean, plays rather mistake-free, defense is going to pin back uh, the other team's offense. Defense is going to get you the ball in good field position. And, and again, the running backs, the, uh, the, the offensive line, mm. they're, they're there for Phillip Rivers, and, and thus he has to do a little bit less. You don't have to put the whole game on your shoulders. It's a great, it's a great comparison. I think it's very similar to that Broncos side. The line, really strong. It's, it's also another a really astute point. Uh, it is always mindful to your uh, suggestion that it just suddenly goes, you know, heavyweight champions, quarterbacks, it suddenly goes. It always reminds me of that Hemingway line, how did he go broke gradually then suddenly? And, uh, and that's how it'll come for, for, um, for him. Uh, speaking of uh, quarterbacks at, 
towards the end of their career, Drew Brees, we think it's his last season, of course, with the broken ribs and the collapsed lung and, and God knows what else. Poor guy out for a good few weeks anyway, which means surprise in New Orleans. We all thought up until, you know, 24 hours, 40 hours before the game that it was going to be Jameis Winston. Mm, the, the pros and obvious cons of, of starting Winston, but Sean Payton foxed us all and went with Taysom Hill. Shefty was reporting yesterday, Greg, that that decision divided opinion in the, in the Saints camp. There were a number of people, Payton amongst them, that wanted to see what they've got with Taysom Hill, right? Because if Breeze is wrapping him up at the end of the season, James is on a one-year deal. They paid Taysom Hill a lot of money. He is a very highly paid backup. They clearly think he's a potential starter of the future. He can't be paying that money just for a gadget player. And so Breeze, um, Peyton rather, and co wanted to lead with him. But there were other people in the organization that thought this is ridiculous. We've got James Winston, a seasoned vet, uh, who can come in and, like Teddy did last year, hold the ship. In this, in this organization, with this playbook, we will limit the risk and limit the, the turnover capabilities of James Winston. That's the right play. So they went with Taysom Hill. Was it the right decision? I mean, they get, they get the result. But, I mean, based on what you saw of his performance, was it the right call? He, he just, I think he's got that it factor. I do. And, and it's funny that we, you know, we didn't get to see him other than that sort of gadget player that you mentioned before. We haven't even gotten to see him in, in like, say, a, you know, a mid-90s Cordell Stewart role where they're bringing right. him in more consistently and regularly uh, with Drew Brees being the, uh, the, the Neil O'Donnell, of course, from the mid-90s. <laughs> right. So I love that Neil O'Donnell love, reference, right? Starting quarterback that. in the Super Bowl. Love Hard it. to believe. But, uh, but either way, yeah, I, I look and I go, they look like they got this one right. And look, there's been so many shifting quarterback narratives. We're even back to the case in Miami where, uh, you know, right. Tua was so subpar yesterday and lots of sacks and, and lack of quick decision making against, you know, a, a ferocious Broncos front seven that the narrative even switched back from, oh, wh- you know, why did they go so long with Ryan Fitzpatrick? They knew they had Tua, should have started him earlier once you realized you had a good team around him to yesterday oh, yeah, Fitzpatrick's obviously more the guy that's ready now, but two is more the long-term pro. Which is <laughs> right. it? So with, right. with New Orleans, they've got a fascinating call to make, and no wonder they deemed Teddy Bridgewater expendable. And, and remember, there was a big push saying, are you sure about this? Because then the comparison was Bridgewater versus Taysom Hill. If you can only keep one, well, they chose Taysom Hill, and they right. doubled down on that by starting him ahead of, uh, of Jameis Winston, who, let's be honest, hasn't started a game in a good chunk of time. The turnovers are not going to magically disappear because you're on another team, whether you know you think that team's deeper than last year's Tampa Bay team or not. Remember, Remember, Tampa Bay, Tom Brady walks in, and yeah, they add Gronk, but there's a lot of weapons there already, and Jameis Winston couldn't get consistent, couldn't give consistent quarterback play. And, uh, and yeah, Sean Payton looks like a genius for giving Taysom Hill the start. The great, great debate, Nat, will be whether Hill plays well enough next week, the week after, maybe the week after that, to the point where we're back to, we were there, weren't we, with Brock Osweiler and Peyton Manning. It's hard to believe this was a conversation, but it was, should John Fox give the job back to Peyton Manning or not? He looked pretty bad before he sat out. Osweiler won a lot of big games to get Denver where they needed to go, and there was some controversy. Had that flopped and Denver gone one and out in the playoffs, you would have heard a loud outcry saying, we should have kept with Osweiler, but didn't. New Orleans might, might face those kind of questions, which was unthinkable at the start of the season. It's a great point. I hadn't considered that if, if Taysom Hill plays out of his skin against, let's see if they've got the Broncos, the Falcons again, the Eagles. Let's say it's those three games and then Breeze is fit for the Chiefs game, which is on the 20th of December. 
Yeah, I mean, there is an, there yeah. is an outside chance that uh, I, I was think I was thinking you were going more down the line of if he plays that well, will that guarantee him the starting job going forward next season? Right, if Breeze does hang him up, but uh, a really really fascinating situation playing out there as it is that you alluded to it in Miami. So Brian Flores coming out after the game, having benched Tua, and there was suggestion that the Tua had been pulled because of an injury, but they confirmed he was benched for, for Fitz because he wasn't playing well, but he said he's very much our quarterback. It's his team. He's going to be starting next week. Uh, I know you've got to roll anything you can to win now and win the game in front of you right now. And, and Tua clearly was struggling, but that is an interesting decision, I think, by Flores and, and Chan Gailey to do that because that is, could have a huge impact on his confidence. Whatever the head coach says to the media afterwards, it's, it's going to create and sow the seed of doubt. To be pulled that early on in your career, I think, is a mistake, Greg. I, I do, I do, but I also, I also think there must be a grounded sense of of Miami and where they're at as a six and four team, and I'll, I'll, you know, they play at the Jets and they host Cincinnati again without without Joe Burrow. They should be an eight and four team. I mean, they just they can't afford to miss the mark the next two weeks because they go on the road. They've got road games against the Raiders and Bills. They've got New England at home. That's not a slam dunk, no matter how the Patriots have played those games. Patriots Dolphins are always close, whether the Patriots are great or not, and they host Kansas City, which looks like a schedule loss right now so you're eight and five going into three very tough games so they're not home and free they people might have thought so had they beaten Denver yesterday and and won their sixth straight game but remember they they, they're a one and three team four weeks in and it looks Mm -hmm. like they're going nowhere another top 10 draft pick another year of of sort of introspection for Tua and I think they've awoken their fans to the sense that it's real. It's here now. So let's expedite some of the process. Let's play to win football games now. They'll have a really interesting call if they bobble one of the next two games. But I, I don't think this will have too adverse an effect on, on Tua. I think he looks yesterday, and, and they may say, listen, you haven't got it today. They've got your number. They know where you're going. They've scouted you well. They've prepped well to play you. Um, you're hanging on to the ball too long. Like I, I, I think they just might want a head-clearing, fresh reset. And I, I'm sure Tua will start at the Jets. Uh, and again, you've got a, you know, you, you got a larger margin for error when you're playing the New York Jets than later in the season. They better know who their quarterback is when they're playing in Las Vegas or, or playing at Orchard Park against the Buffalo Bills the last week of the season. Those might be games Miami has to win. Uh, big time. Uh, that, is, that is fascinating how they uh, how they roll into the last third of the season, given, as you say, the expectation, I think, was fanciful at best that they were going to be a playoff team for all the positivity, the buzz around Flores and the new organization. I don't think anyone thought that eight and eight was going to be a good return. And suddenly you pick up a decent record like this and it's the heady heights and uh, they're dreaming big. And why not? Speaking of dreaming big, everyone in the NFC East is uh, (laughs) in the playoff hunt right now. My God, I mean, the Cowboys, I, I, I messaged uh, Ollie last night on WhatsApp after our radio show because it was obviously in the later mm-hmm. later window. So back watching that, and I sa- suggested, are they the favourites for the NFC East? Given how bad the Eagles are, the Giants are, are wildly erratic. Washington, maybe. I mean, who? It, let me throw it at you, Greg. Who is in the <laughs> box seat for the for the NFC East? Who is your the team that you think? is most likely to get that, what, 6-10 and 10 <laughs> record and make it, make it to the playoffs. Yeah, we had that uh, famous 7-9 and nine Seattle team uh, with, with Marshawn Lynch take, take out a 12-4 and four New Orleans team that was defending Super Bowl. 
Bowl champs. So a team five games better in the regular season. That's a big ask for an NFC East team uh, this year. As as lousy as the Rams, as lousy as the Seahawks were at seven and nine uh, with that big famous Marshawn Lynch uh, to beast mode touchdown run that year. I am still, and I am, I, I am going to bang my head against the steering wheel of my car for saying this, driving home from this. Carson Wentz and the Eagles, they're still, but, but the math works for them right now because that, of that tie. The tie right. is like a win in a division this bad. So being 3-6-1, and one, giving themselves a leg up. Last two games are against Dallas and Washington, but, uh, but I, you know, that's not said with a ton of confidence. I don't know how anyone could be confident about any team. Can you imagine? I think the strangest scenario has to be the idea of Washington with Alex Smith being the starting quarterback for a home playoff game in January, Nat. I think that's stranger than the Eagles doing it, than Dallas and Andy Dalton doing it. And I think Dalton, that's even stranger yeah. than, uh, than Daniel Taylor and the New York Giants uh, doing it. I, I, or Daniel Jones, tell me I'm wrong that, it's, that Washington's the strangest scenario as a division winner. God, I, I, I think it is. And that is a high bar, I can tell you. I'm just thinking of your, <laughs> your, what you're saying about the, the tie could be, in the end, the thing that decides for Philly. Because, of course, the manner in which they... The, can you earn a tie? I don't know. The manner in which they, they ended up with a tie anyway was, of course, that Bengals game when neither team seemed to want to win, right? And at the time, we were scratching out so early in the season thinking, what the hell? How on earth can you be playing in the NFL in 2020 and settle for this? Maybe... Frank Wright was onto something we didn't realize, and it was a it was a genius move. And uh, Doug Peterson was onto something we didn't realize, and it was a genius move that he knew that it was going to be this woeful, and that would be the one that clinches it for for the Eagles. Uh, I I'm leaning Dallas. I think with the weapons they've got, will be mm. the defense look look better. Uh, you know, in, in Van der Esch certainly was balling yesterday, and it, look, it, it's clearly a weak link, and and Zeke is not the player that he should be. But I think Dalton going into the season was, was amongst the best backups going, right? And there's so much talent around him. I, I think they, they're, they're going to have enough. I, I, I could see Dallas. I need to st- study the schedules more because uh, they might have a ridiculously hard one and I am uh, talking nonsense. But in terms of talent right now, I think, I think it's the Cowboys and, and Dalton. Let's wrap uh, by, talking, by talking Joe Burrow because it was an awful injury. And at the time we were covering it on air, it was hard to tell the severity instantly, although it looked messy and it was one of those ones that the TV cams weren't showing again and again, that's never a, a good sign. But whilst he looked resigned and frustrated, understandably, as he was being carted off, he wasn't writhing around in pain and wasn't going to have oxygen. And so we were waiting to see. But then, of course, he confirmed it through his own social channels not long after saying, see you next year. So he's done for the season. It is a tear. Uh, it's the kind of injury that we see time and time again players coming back from fortunately mm-hmm. in this day and age it is something that to the most part unless there are complications you can you can be back to uh, the player that you were before you sustained an injury like that but nevertheless deeply disappointed given how how assured uh, and composed you look Greg well it is and and you know yeah we'll, we'll miss watching him play the uh, the AFC North games have been kind of ha- had that extra layer of specialness this year certainly Cincinnati Cleveland's been reignited as as the battle of Ohio cuz you're hoping that Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield are playing for things uh, in the long term but yeah it's uh, the NFL has its gruesome moments the Dak Prescott injury this year but uh, yeah, that's that's the issue. If it's just the torn ACL, that's one thing. If there's additional damage, that is that is concerning. And any concept of 
you know, Joe Burrow not being able to, to get into a proper training camp, play a proper preseason. Remember, he's done all this. Some of the young quarterbacks have been remarkable. Justin Herbert is probably, you know, driver's seat for rookie of the year, and he probably was even before uh, yesterday and, and the Burrow injury. Uh, he gets my vote for sure. So uh, all three of these quarterbacks drafted in the top six have had to go through some some pretty exceptional circumstances, and and we hope Joe Burrow is back and, and healthy. If anything, Joe Burrow out now, Joe Mixon out for a good chunk of time. Um, the Bengals, look, it's not the worst thing in the world for the Bengals to grab another high pick and add to the infrastructure. Draft in the right. top six, top eight, top ten at the worst. And they're probably headed in that direction now with uh, with Ryan Finley, a quarterback, the rest of the way. That is fascinating. I wrote about this a few weeks ago for, for the Times. Those teams that are which the Bengals are in there, although clearly better records than the Jets and at the time the Giants and, and the Jags, right? But the teams that have a Darnold situation or Daniel Jones, they've invested heavily in a quarterback, but uh, almost certainly would take Lawrence or, or, or Fields, right? But then those that, that obviously mm-hmm. wouldn't, Cincinnati being being an obvious team that wouldn't, Miami, you would think if, if they ended up with a pick like that, wouldn't. Teams that, the Chargers, teams that have taken a high pick this time around are not going to do that next time around. And that will be fascinating if it is, if the Bengals free fall now as a result of that and end up uh, end up with, you know, somehow the Jets cobble a few wins together and the Bengals end up with number one. I mean, talk about investing in the future for Joe Burrow, right? The amount of draft capital they could pick up for that number one overall pick would be extraordinary. So uh, that race for the bottom spot is going to be fascinating. And as we get into the last quarter of the season, all of the playoff picture uh, still up for grabs. And Greg, always good to catch up with you, man. And I'm sure you'll be back very, very soon to help us unpick more mayhem as we get uh, close to the final reckoning. Uh, really good to catch up with you, bro. Look after yourself. Yeah, and uh, enjoy your U.S. Thanksgiving. And, and yeah, we got a Dallas-Washington game uh, with two teams, a combined 6-14, and 14, and it's got quote-unquote massive playoff implications. So who can complain about that on Thursday? <laughs> I love it. It's a triple header as well. You're going to love Thanksgiving. <laughs> Gorging on that as well. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you as well, bud, and we'll see you soon. Fine work from Greg. We are back with a bonus Thanksgiving giving episode of edge rush our brand new pod that we're dropping on saturdays most of the time although this week it's dropping midweek ahead of the three thanksgiving games that's the edge rush show uh keep your eyes and ears peeled for that we're back for the week 12 preview show comedian david whitney dropping by for the first time this season iron mike in the house as well to get you set for all the weekend's action. So those are the two episodes dropping later on this week. Keep your eyes peeled as well on our social channels at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, lots of extra content going out there, lots of extra videos, all the good stuff. Hey, you might even grab a sneak peek of my Peloton in view (laughs) if you keep your eyes firmly fixed on our social channels. Shout out to all the crew running that. We will be back with Edge Rush later on this week and the Week 12 preview with I'm Mike and David Whitney. See you then, guys. Podcast Network.